If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy. And we're going to be looking primarily this morning on chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. And if you have your bulletin with you this morning, you'll notice that uh, we have a new sermon series that I'm starting today called Passing the Torch. And uh, my intention on starting this um, series of messages, of course, is to prepare all of us for the transition that will soon take place at the end of February, as I will officially retire as your pastor. And then, of course, the work which has already begun by our pastor search committee will continue in searching for someone to replace me. And I cannot emphasize strongly enough how important it is that this time that we're entering into and will remain until the Lord brings that individual to us. And so I'm wanting to take this passage of scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and the first 26 verses of chapter 2. Uh, in, in this chapter, there are seven figures of speech that Paul uses to encourage young Timothy. This, this book is called 2 Timothy. Timothy uh, was um, evidently a convert under the leadership of the Apostle Paul. And Paul took him under his wing and trained him and taught him, encouraged him, inspired him, used him many times. And uh, in this chapter 2, he's using these metaphors or seven uh, uh, figures of speech uh, to encourage him uh, to take the baton or torch that has been passed to him and to run with it faithfully as he continues to share the good news with people all around him. In the second chapter of 2 Timothy, I invite your attention. We're going to skip around for a couple of moments here, but look down at verse 7. Look down at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7. Uh, in my translation, it says, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And the word consider, of course, means to reflect, uh, to think about these things that I'm going to say. That's what Paul was saying to Timothy. Timothy, I want you to contemplate what I'm saying to you. Reflect on it. Think on it. Think about these things. And uh, then he challenges him to take the baton or the torch and pass it on to other people. Uh, of course, the Apostle Paul was concerned about the churches uh, that he had served. Um, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28, he makes reference to the daily pressures on me of concern for all the churches. So Paul, as you know, had moved all around that part of the world and was very instrumental in establishing churches, planning churches wherever he went. Sometimes he would retract his, his uh, traces and he would go back to uh, pump them up some more and to encourage them some more and, and what they were having to face and having to endure. And he loved the churches greatly and he talked about, you know how, how, how much pressure I've been under. And Paul was under all kinds of pressure. He had been persecuted uh, many times. He, he describes all of this in, in his writings. Uh, and he says, and in addition to all the things that I've had to endure, I've had the concern of the churches pressing on my heart as well. And I can identify with that as, as a pastor to know that, that there are those things that a pastor will go through and that a church will go through and, 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 and the great pressure that comes to that as well. 
And uh, he identifies Timothy not only as his son in the ministry, but one who also shared a like concern for the churches. He says over in the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 20, he sent Timothy to the church at Philippi. And in chapter 2 and verse 20, he said, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. So wherever Timothy went, he shared with the people the same kind of concern for them that the apostle Paul had. And so uh, in, also in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2, if you would just keep your place at 2 Timothy, but go back to 2 Tim, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, excuse me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and the first two verses. We're still now thinking about concern, concern for the churches, Paul is saying, that he has the concern for the church. And in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this care or case, moreover, it is required of stewards that he be found faithful or trustworthy that they be found trustworthy and faithful. Uh, the word stewards could also be translated manager. A manager or a foreman was somebody who was placed in charge of a particular company or responsibility. And Paul's taking that term and applying it to his responsibility as being a steward of the gospel. That he was a manager in essence, that he was responsible for those that he reached and responsible for the churches that he had established and planted. And he said, I'm concerned about the churches and uh, I'm passing the torch on to you, Timothy, to go to these churches and encourage them as I have done also. So this is kind of the setting or the background, the environment of what we're going to be looking at over these next several weeks. And today we're looking at uh, the faithful steward in passing the torch. You understand what the passing of the torch symbolizes. The Olympic Games, you remember, uh, had a relay, uh, people who had been assigned to carry the torch uh, for a certain distance that would eventually light the, the, the light at the fire wherever the Olympic Games were going to, to take place. And so as one torch bearer would, would take his turn to carry the torch and then he would pass it over to another one and then to another one and to another one until finally they got to the place where the Olympics were going to be held and, and the fire that had been ignited by the rays of the sun would now set the fire for the Olympic Games and it would burn all through the Olympic Games uh, as a symbol of, of their coming together in competitive uh, athletics. And, and, and so what I'm trying to say to you is that as a pastor now, it won't be long that I'll be passing the torch to someone else. I don't know who that someone else will be. Only the Lord knows who it's going to be. That's why we need to pray for the pastor search committee. And we need to pray for the pastor uh, intern committee. So we'll have a pastor to come in and fill in, in my absence until you, you get a new pastor. You need to be praying for him. Uh, folks, I'm trying to say to you, I'm concerned for you that you need to be on your knees. You need to be praying for this church, praying for me, praying for your next pastor. And I, want, and I hope you understand what I'm saying today and in the days to come. That I hope that you will look upon me and treat me as Jesus said to the disciples about Lazarus. Loose him and let him go. 
And I'm saying to you, some of you say, oh, you're going to do my funeral. You're going to do this. Hey, no, folks, you're going to have a new pastor. And I'm not going to take the place of your pastor. So don't come running to me for your problems and your needs because I'm going to have to say no to you. I won't be your pastor anymore. That doesn't mean that I'm stopped loving you. It doesn't mean I'm not moving my membership. Linda and I are going to be here. And, but we're passing the torch on to somebody else. And change can be good if you're willing to let it take place in a positive way. It can be a good thing. We need some fresh air. We need a fresh vision that we're hoping and praying that the new pastor will bring, whomever that may be. So we're passing the torch as a good steward to be faithful. Now notice on your outline, there are several things that I've listed there for you, six of them in fact. And as we look at this passage of scripture, when in verse chapter two, verses one and two, he says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, you see the changing of the order where he says, that which has been entrusted to me, Christ gave it to me. I gave it to Timothy. Timothy gives it to you. You give it to someone else. We're passing the torch. We're keeping the light of the gospel burning. And uh, uh, the, Lord, the Lord will bless it. He will. It's the way, the way he does things and works things. So there are six things that I want to focus on the moments that remain. First of all, to look at a personal response. A personal response. And it's found in that one little word, you. That's what verse one begins with, you. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The word you is what we call emphatic. To be emphatic means that you place special emphasis on this one particular individual. And so Paul is not talking about other preachers or other pastors. He's talking to Timothy. And he's, and he's focusing on Timothy. He's, he's circling in on him and, and not anybody else. And he says, you, Timothy, you, listen, notice, Timothy, I'm talking to you. The emphasis is on you. The burden is on you. You, Timothy, it's emphatic. It, and to be emphatic means it's forceful speech. It's attracting attention. And uh, it clearly is making a direct pause, clearly making a direct appeal to young Timothy. Timothy was Paul's disciple, Paul's friend, Paul's co-laborer, his representative to the churches. And he eventually became the pastor of the church at Ephesus. But he's singling Paul out for this responsibility. You know, Christ calls for a personal response from every person. He requires one of me, but he also requires one of you. And although we're saying that Paul is singling out Timothy, the Lord is also singling out you and you and you and you and myself as well. All of us are going to have and do have a responsibility to this church. It's not just the church body as a whole. It's church individually, you individually. God did not call you as a group to be the church. He called you singularly. Individually, each of you, man and woman alike, adult and child alike, have had a personal relationship with the living God. And so you didn't join the, we just didn't get everybody together and say, okay, all of a sudden you're all First Baptist Church. You came individually. Same way of salvation. You, you, you're saved individually. The Holy Spirit singles you out and brings conviction to your heart 
and the focus and the emphasis is upon you when you get saved. I can't be saved for you. You can't be saved for me. We can't be saved for one another. Salvation is individually, individually. Now, our church has um, a mission statement, a purpose statement. We, we take the first uh, letters of our church's name and use it as our mission statement. The letters FBC. F stands for finding the lost. That means we're to go out into the community and find people that don't know Jesus as their Savior. And finding them, we witness to them and under the conviction and leadership of the Holy Spirit, lead them to a saving knowledge of Christ. So F stands for finding the lost. The letter B stands for building the believer. And that means that you take those that are lost, they come, they join, they get baptized, they get involved in Sunday school and training classes and so forth, and we hopefully help them to grow and mature in their faith. When a baby is born over there in the hospital or home, wherever it may be, that's just the beginning of it. You've got to take that baby home and train it and teach it and take care of it and feed it and bathe it and, and teach it how to talk and walk until it's able to stand on their own. And the same thing is true about becoming a Christian. When a person accepts Christ as their Lord and Savior, they become babes in Christ. And it's the church's responsibility to take them and to help them to grow and mature in their Christian faith. And so L stands for finding the lost and B stands for building the believer. The letter C means changing the world. That's what Christ does. He changes everybody's life who comes to him. And then the bottom line of it says, Find the lost, build the believer, changing the world one person at a time. One person at a time. We're all saved individually. Remember when Paul was with, uh, or, or Jesus was with his disciples in the area of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked, what do, uh, who do people say that I am? What do people think about me? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, one of the prophets or whatever. But Jesus said, what do you think? What do you believe about me? Again, focusing on the individual. And when it comes to passing the torch, this is what Paul is doing to Timothy, and this is what I'm trying to do with you and the next pastor who will come. Christ's call is to individuals. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. So there is a personal response that he addresses here. The second thing is a meaningful relationship. Notice he addresses Timothy as my son. Now, it is believed that at some point in time in his missionary journeys that Paul met Timothy, met his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, and maybe had spent some time in their home. They didn't have inns and hotels and motels where uh, uh, missionaries could stay as they traveled. They, they stayed in people's homes. And so it is believed that uh, Paul stayed in, in, in Timothy's home. And it was there that he became acquainted with Timothy and his mom and dad and, and, uh, and, and led uh, young Timothy to a saving knowledge of Christ. And so in essence, Paul was looking upon Timothy as his son in the faith, that he was responsible uh, for, for leading Timothy to trust Jesus. And therefore, it was a very a personal, precious relationship. In fact, the New Living Translation uses this term, uh, you therefore, my son. The New Living Translation translates it, my dear son. And the New American Standard, oh, if you, oh, you still have 2 Timothy open, look at chapter 1 and verse 2. Chapter 1 and verse 2 says, to Timothy, my beloved son. So Paul had a, a personal 
tender, loving, compassionate relationship with Timothy, looked upon him as his son in the faith, having led him to the Lord, and he loved Timothy a great deal, a great deal. And so he was precious to him, and, and Timothy became his traveling companion. Everywhere Paul went, Timothy was right along there with him and sharing and, and, uh, and witnessing to other people. Uh, Paul left Timothy at Berea when Silas uh, uh, and Paul escaped to, to Athens. Uh, Paul sent Timothy to Macedonia. Uh, he was with Paul in Corinth. He was with Paul when he wrote the church, uh, the letter at 2 Corinthians to the church at Corinth. He was sent to Thessalonica. He was uh, uh, with Paul when he wrote the book at, uh, to the Philippians at Philippi. He served Paul as son of uh, wood, with, wood with his father. He had no other companion, so like-minded as Timothy. Timothy was dear to him, dear to him. He was his legitimate spiritual son. And I often wonder, do you, do you have somebody that, that you can call your legitimate spiritual son or daughter? Someone that you've been instrumental in leading to Jesus? Someone that you have personally one-on-one -on -one talked to about the living Christ and his saving power and encouraging them under the conviction of the Holy Spirit to, and to lead them into a saving knowledge of Christ. Is there anyone, a spouse, a son, a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, an employee, anybody in your life that you can say, I, I had a personal opportunity to lead this person to a saving knowledge of Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful relationship there is there if you've had that wonderful experience. So a meaningful relationship, my son, my dearly beloved son of the gospel. Third, an adequate resource. Be strong, he says in verse 1 of chapter 2. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The word strong is in an imperative form, which means it's the command. He didn't say, oh, I wish you'd, you'd be strong. He gave him an order, gave him a command. Here's a spiritual father giving his spiritual son a command. Be strong in the Lord, in the grace of the Lord. The meaning of the word literally translated is keep on being strong. This, that this is not just a one-time experience, but it should be an ongoing experience. In other words, he's talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, the filling of the Holy Spirit is something different than the baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit takes place whether you realize it or not. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit baptized you into the body of Christ. And, you, and I'm not talking about water baptism here, folks. I'm talking about you're becoming a part of the spiritual body of Christ and he adds you to his body and he baptizes you into the church, into the body of Christ. And that's different from the, the baptism of the Holy, the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is, it can happen on more uh, occasions, more than one. It can, it can be uh, fuller at times than at others. It's just an ongoing process. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you're going to run into all kinds of opposition. You're going to have all kinds of, of situations that you're going to deal with. You're going to have all kinds of people that you're going to have to deal with. And, and if you depend on yourself, on your flesh to accomplish these things, you're going to fail miserably. 
You must depend upon the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and be filled with the Spirit and, and He will give you the power that you need to be a witness for Him and pass the torch to other people. That's what Acts 1.8 is all about. Uh, you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit is come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And we are to be dressed in the Spirit, if you please. It, it tells us that uh, in Christ is the suggestion of putting on Christ like a, like a garment and being, being filled with the Spirit. Warren Wiersbe has said, The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not a luxury. It is an absolute necessity. I remember the first time I ever tried to witness to someone about Jesus. I was just a teenage boy trying and uh, surrendered to preach. Well, preachers are supposed to witness, so that's what I did. And I had a friend that didn't know the Lord and lived two or three blocks away from me. I didn't pray about it. I didn't ask God to help me or the Holy Spirit to fill me. I just took off and, and I ran him away. Ran him away from the Lord. Bugged him to death. Never did trust God. I hope and pray that he has since that was a long time ago. But I learned the hard way. I fell flat on my face. But you know, witnessing to somebody, uh, how, how do you do it? The same way you learn how to swim. You know, you can take all the classes in the world on how to, how to move your arms and kick your feet and hold your breath. But there's only one way you're going to learn how to swim. And that's you're going to jump in the water and start. And that's the only way you're going to learn how to witness. You, you can take classes and learn how and so forth. That's great. I'm not opposed to that. I'm just saying to learn how to witness, you've got to witness. And you learn from experiences. And when you do it in the power of God, somebody's going to get changed. Somebody's going to get saved. And so Paul was saying to Timothy, Timothy, be strong in the Lord. Stay strong in the Lord. It is absolutely essential. It is necessary for you to be strong in the Lord. And so there's this Adequate resource. It's available if you're willing to take it, and you take it by surrendering. Because that's one of the biggest problems we have in the world today is narcissism, self-centeredness. We're such so self selfish and self-centered individuals. We don't care about anybody else but ourselves. And for me to be filled with the Spirit, I've got to give up my rights to myself. It's just like if I was in the military and I was going to, 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 uh, to capture and arrest a, an, an enemy. I throw up your arms and surrender. Well, that's what you do when you surrender to the Holy Spirit. You just give up all rights to yourself and freedom and you turn it all over to the Holy Spirit and say, I surrender to you. And then he'll fill you and he'll use you. Number four. An authentic report. Notice what he says in verse 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Well, what things is he talking about? Well, look at chapter 1, 2 Timothy, still in 2 Timothy, chapter 1 and verse 13. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Lord, you've heard me talk about faith and love which is in Christ. So what I think he's referring to here is, I said to you that, that Timothy was Paul's right-hand man. 
that wherever Paul went, Timothy went. So that means when Paul went to Athens, he probably went with him. He was with him at Philippi uh, when the church at Philippi was established in Lydia's home. Uh, he heard Paul talk to the Jews in Thessalonica. He, he heard the, the Bereans. Uh, they, they didn't take Paul at his word. The Bible tells us uh, in the book of Acts chapter 17 and verse 11 that the Bereans heard Paul talk but, but they just didn't take Paul at his word. They took the Old Testament scriptures and compared what Paul was saying to how it measured up to what the Old Testament was saying. But they heard Paul and Timothy was there. And then to the Jews and Greeks in Corinth at Ephesus and Galatia, uh, to the disciples of John the Baptist who had not heard the full gospel, to the believers in Macedonia, to the believers in Troas, uh, to the church at Ephesus, everywhere Paul spoke, Timothy was right there listening to all of the doctrinal truths that the apostle Paul had, had, had learned from Jesus having spent three years with him out there in the desert. And so he said, Paul, uh, Timothy, you, you've been with me just about everywhere I've been. You've heard me teach. You take what I have taught and you pass it on to somebody else. Pass it on. A personal, personal, authentic Report that you're to pass on to other people. Many of you, he says, have heard this. And you know, the same thing is true about us. You've been hearing me preach for 35 years. Have you learned anything? <laughs> I hope you have. Some of you say you have all of my sermon notes that I've printed all these years. And I hope you have too. That's why, I, why we had them printed. Hope you have all of them. Hope you can take those and sit down with somebody and teach them. Help them to know and understand what it means to be a Christian and how to grow in the faith and knowledge of Christ. I hope that my 35 years here as your pastor has not been in vain in that regard. That you've learned something. Nothing encourages me more and lights my fire anymore than to hear somebody say, I learned something new today I'd never known before. I saw something in the scriptures today. I'd never seen that before. It's not, it's not that I'm that, that great of a preacher or anything. It's just that's the Holy Spirit working in your life. I want you to go out of this place informed, encouraged, and inspired to be the kind of witness that God wants you to be in this world and in this community and that you'll take what I've heard and preached to through all of these years and apply it to your life and teach it to other people. Number five, there is a serious responsibility. He says in verse two, entrust thee. Entrust what? Entrust these things that I have shared with you. The word entrust means to commit. It means to transmit, to deposit. It means to hand on to somebody else. It means to pass it on. It's a torch. It is the light of the gospel that you entrust to other people. That was done to me years ago. I want to show you a picture, if you would please show this on the screen. Uh, this is my ordination council uh, when I was ordained as, as to be a preacher. It's a long time ago. I'm, I'm on the front row, uh, second from the left. That, yeah, there you go, fine looking young man there. <laughs> I was 20 years old at that time. The person on uh, your left, my right there, is Bill Beasley, the pastor of the church at First Baptist Pittsburgh at the time, personal friend, 
The one on, on my uh, left is Benton Sherrod. He was the pastor of First Baptist Church inviter who requested my ordination. The men in the picture are the deacons and some of the pastors in our association who met at 2 o'clock July the 5th, 1964 and placed their hands on me. And uh, ordained me and sent me out with the torch in my hand, the gospel in my heart, to pass it on to somebody else. In 1981, March the 1st, I became your 22nd pastor. And uh, the torch that had been passed on to me when I came here in 81, I've passed on to you and will pass on to the 23rd pastor, whomever that may be. The torch will be placed in his hands as well. William Barclay said, every Christian must look on himself as a link between two generations. Not only has he received the faith, he must also pass it on. So don't be selfish with the gospel. Don't just keep it to yourselves. Jesus saved you, not just so that you could escape the flames of hell, but that you might also be a witness for him in this world. You read the 17th chapter of John's gospel, which is the real Lord's prayer, not the model prayer that we normally refer to. John 17 is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And he was saying, Lord, don't take them out of this world, but use them, and I'm paraphrasing it here, use them to bear light and share the gospel with those around them. That's why the Lord has left you here. You ever wonder why God doesn't just zap us out of this world and take us on to heaven? And so he's left you here to be a witness, to pass the torch, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody else. God selects you and ordains you and calls you to do that. So it's a serious, a serious responsibility. Four stages in the handling of the truth which Paul envisioned. From Christ to Paul, from Paul to Timothy, from Timothy to faithful men, and from faithful men to others also. So we have the responsibility to pass it on. That's why God saved you. And then notice number six. A serious requirement, a serious requirement to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The word faithful or the term faithful men would describe people who are believing, people who are loyal, people who are reliable, people who are dependable, people who are steadfast. It's my responsibility as a pastor to pass the message of Jesus Christ on to you Trusting that you are a believing person, that you believe in Jesus, you believe him to be God's son, you believe that he and he alone has the power to save you, and that you can be dependable, trustworthy, steadfast, reliable, that you'll not, that when, when, I, when I leave this place as your pastor, that, that you'll not stop coming just because I'm not here, or, or that you'll not stop giving uh, that often happens when a, a pastor retires or leaves to go somewhere else. People say, oh, we don't have a pastor, so we don't have to get up Sunday morning and go. I don't have to give anymore. Oh, no, don't do that. You be faithful. 
Faithful to the Lord's work and to his calling and faithful in your attendance and faithful in your prayers and faithful in your giving. Be a trustworthy person of faith that God can depend on for some un wild, unusual, beyond my imagination, and I certainly wouldn't do it. I wouldn't pick any of us, and especially myself, to be the instrument that God would use to lead somebody else to Jesus. There's nothing else to define or describe it or explain it other than the grace of Almighty God. And it's your responsibility to do so. Be a faithful person. One of the books that I have in my personal library is authored by the late Dr. Wayne Dahoney, who was the former pastor of Walnut Street Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. It's called Set the Church of Fire. I read it every once in a while just to set my soul on fire, what God wants me to do. Uh, Dr. Dahoney, uh, when he was pastor, started a, a tourist business where he would take people to the Holy Lands and different places of the world. He's, he's dead now, but he's passed that responsibility on to his daughter. But he would, he would lead people on, on tours. And in, in his book, Set the Church Afire, he talks about the time that he took a, a group of people to England. And they went to the house and the church that William Carey lived in and pastored um, in Kettering, England. Uh, we, we've been there too the time that we were privileged to go to, to England on the, on the uh, uh, Christian Heritage Tour. But he says in his book that when they went to the church building where William Carey, now in case if you don't know who William Carey is, William Carey uh, by profession was a cobbler. He repaired shoes for a living, but he had a burden for the world, and he had a, a map of the world made out of leather. He was a cobbler. He worked with leather, so he made a map out of leather, and he drew the different continents of the world on that leather, and, and he would pray for the various continents and people in the world. He, he eventually became a missionary to India. Um, he is called the father of modern missions. Because he, a group of people got together and, and they said, uh, William, if you will go to India, we'll see to it that your funds and financial support will be raised so that you don't have to worry about that. That's what we do with international missions. That's what we do as a Southern Baptist church here, folks. Right now, we are in international missions emphasis. The Lottie Moon Christmas offering and Terry and Twyla Bell and the others that have gone out of our church to be missionaries around the world, they don't have to worry about where they're going to get medical treatment or where they're going to live or how they're going to have a salary, whatever. We pay for all of that with a Lottie Moon Christmas offering. By the way, our goal of $50,000, you look on the bulletin, $57,000 plus that you gave. Yeah, yes. And it's not over yet. There's still some that, that maybe will we'll yet give. So we could go well over $60,000 for, for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And so he went. He's called the father of modern missions. But then when Dahoney says they went to the building where their church was, they walked on the inside of it. It was empty. There were no pews, no stained glass windows, the caretaker who happened to be there it had been turned into a barn where they stored hay. And he, he asked them if, if, if the church was still existing somewhere else. They said, no, doesn't, doesn't exist any longer. Strange thing, the man who, who was there took the boards off the floor 
and uncovered the baptistry. In those days, baptistries were in the floor. The first church here, first Baptist church, the baptistry was in the floor. Ours is up there. But they, they made theirs in the floor. The man pulled the boards back and he says, what, what is this hole for? Didn't even know it was a baptistry. Wayne DeHoney asked a theologian who happened to be in the tour group with him what all of that would mean. What happened here, he asked. He said, this is the tragedy of a church that fixed its eyes on the needs of a world out yonder and failed to see the needs of the field at its own doorsteps. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm all for foreign missions and international missions. In fact, Bobby and a group of people have gone to Jamaica to spend this week to help the people there and to share the gospel with them. Not all opposed that. We have, we have international missions, Terry and Twyla and all the others that go out there. And, and, but I'm telling you, folks, if all we do is support international missions, and never lift a finger to reach somebody here in Nacogdoches. The day will surely come. You mark my words on it when the doors to this church will be closed and the lights will be turned out and the stained glasses will be removed and people will start asking the question, what does that hole up there mean? We must pass the torch in our own city, in our own state, in our own nation if we're going to exist. And it's not going to stop simply because I won't be your pastor anymore. I'm still going to be here. I'm going to mix and mingle around somewhere. I'm not, I don't want to, uh, now I say all of that and the Lord probably knocked me in the head and say, yes, you will. <laughs> but our intention, we're not moving out of Nacogdoches. We love it here. This is home for us. We lived here longer in Nacogdoches than we have in our own home places where we were born and lived. We want to stay members of this church. But you must realize, loose me and let me go and let your new pastor take responsibility. Love him, pray for him, support him, care about him just as you have for me. One of the tragedies of our day and time to me is the fact that the, the controversy of our convention has almost but ruined our International Mission Board support. And that's why a lot of them are having to retire early, not go back because there's not enough funds. Why? Well, they say, well, it's people lethargic and all that. Yes. But, and I know that some of you may disagree with me, but that's okay. I don't agree with my wife sometimes. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Oh, <clears throat> can I go home with you someday? <laughs> um, but I really believe it. It's hurt our convention. Friendships have been lost. People have been hurt because of it, and the work of God has suffered. The seminary that I graduated from, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, when I went, had 5,000 students. Now, just over two. Where have they all gone? Somewhere else? I don't know. I thank God for Southwestern and for what it has meant to me in my lifetime. But it's hurt, the split, the controversy of our convention has. Someone once asked the question, what happened to the church in England 
what happens to the churches. Last, last night, before I make this statement, I, I was studying about Acts 1-8, and um, I, I pulled Dr. Criswell's volume, a three-volume set out on the book of Acts, and to see what he had to say about Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Dr. Criswell was former pastor of First Baptist in Dallas. And uh, he made a reference that one time he preached a revival at the First Baptist Church of Brooklyn in New York. And while he was there, he, he asked the pastor, can you tell me where the Brooklyn Tabernacle is located? And not the tabernacle that you're thinking about, but this, this was back in the, the tabernacle existed back in the uh, mid-1800s and so forth. The, the pastor was a man by the name of T. DeWitt Talmage. He, he was a tremendous preacher. He, he had a regular attendance. Whenever he preached, 5,000 plus people in attendance. Each week, an estimated 20 million people would read his sermons that were being printed in over 3,000 newspapers across the United States of America. He was considered a rival of Henry Ward Beecher, one of the most colorful, flamboyant preachers of his day and of his time. And Dr. Criswell asked this man that he was holding the revival with, he says, do you know where the tabernacle, Brooklyn Tabernacle is located? And the pastor says, I, I don't know. Nobody knows where it is. On another occasion, he was talking to another preacher uh, about T. DeWitt, uh, Talmage, a, a man by the name of Gardner Taylor, a black preacher. And he was in Brooklyn and he asked, Garner, do you know where the Brooklyn Tabernacle is? And Garner said, I have grown up in this town. This is my home. I've never been able to find its location. I do not know where it was. It's gone. So it happens, folks. It doesn't happen to be just in England. It can happen here in America. It could happen here. I pray that it will not. In his book, Dr. Honey raises the question, what happened in England? What is the lesson of history? And the lesson he was taught, we are only one generation away from paganism. That's all. One generation. You let our generation pass away without passing the torch on to the next generation, America will be a pagan country all more than it already is. Just do nothing. Do nothing. And it'll happen. One generation away from paganism. Oh, that could never happen in America. Don't hold your breath. In 1884, Luther Rice Scruggs came to Nacogdoches and was used to establish First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches. In time, he passed the torch to the next pastor and to the next and to the next. And in 1981, the torch was passed to me as I became the 22nd pastor of our church. And now at the end of my ministry, as pastor of this wonderful church, it becomes my duty to pass the torch on to the next person, number 23, whomever that may be.
It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around can warm up to its glowing. And that's how it is with God's love once you've experienced it. You spread his love to everyone and you want to pass it on. I wish for you, my friend, this happiness that I have found. You can depend on him. It matters not where you're bound. I'll shout it from the mountaintop. I want my world to know the Lord of love has come to me and I want to pass it on. To pass it on. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. May we bow together, please. Father, um, no, this is difficult for, for me to preach like this and to say things like this, but uh, I, I feel impressed and inspired by you to do so. And I hope it's, it is going to be helpful and that it is helpful and that it will be challenging and inspiring and encouraging. And it would not be a sad time for us, but a joyful time, a re refreshing time for us, an encouraging time, a future bright and glorious ahead of us as long as we stay humble before you and allow you to fill us and to guide us. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to represent you and to speak for you. And thank you for empowering me to do so and for this wonderful church, a lighthouse here in this community. We pray for that pastor, whomever it may be, that we'll show him love and support and encouragement and pray for him. Do everything we can to make our church what you want it to be. We pray for the search committee. What a tremendous responsibility they have. We ask your guidance your impressions to be very strong upon them whenever they come across that individual that they can say in essence rise and anoint him for he's the one I've chosen may we always be faithful in passing the torch in Jesus name amen Joel is going to lead us in our hymn of invitation and if you feel impressed of the Holy Spirit to make a decision this morning I'll be here at the front so let's all stand and sing and you come if God leads you